Jeremiah chapter, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Stand means that we have to stop. It's the opposite of walking. It's what I can't get my younger grandkids to ever do. You know, because this is how we are kind of moving through life, right? If it's not physically, it's certainly up here, right? We're just kind of moving, squirrel. We're kind of go. And he's saying, stop. Just stop and stand for a moment. Just pause and, and, and take in the moment. Just like we just took in this moment. We just had this moment of singing and the truth of that, of that song. And we were contemplating. We were reflecting. I hope. I hope that it was more than just, wow, that's beautiful. And those harmonies of the musicians and what they're playing, I hope it's more than that. That's what the tool that God uses sometimes to grab our attention. But what do we do when, when we have that moment? He says, just stop. Just stand. You Americans, you Westerners that just are going 24 hours a day. I read a statistic the other day of the percentage of people that are on more than, not, not how much time we spend on screens, but what percentage of people are typically on two screens at the same time? Because we've moved to that level now. We watch TV, screen one, and we're doing something on our iPad, screen two, and we're also checking our phone because we just got a Facebook notification. So I'm on three screens at one time. Woohoo! You Americans, stop. Just stand in the moment and realize what? That you're at a crossroads. This is a significant moment in your day. And it's a crossroads, meaning you need to make a decision. You need to make a choice. It means you have more than one potential response or action or attitude. Or This is always true, right? More than one word could come out of your mouth or series of words. Stand in this moment. Stop and take a look. Take a look at this crossroads. Take a look at what's before you. We, my grandfather used to say to me, and maybe you say this too, think before you speak. But he also said, do something even if it's wrong. You remember that, Dad? He's an old Swede. He'd say, do something. He hated just standing around leaning on shovels. Do something even if it's wrong. Think before you speak. Consider, take a look, take in the moment you're in before you make a decision. And specifically, God says, I, this is what the Lord says, I want you to ask for the ancient paths. I want you to ask about what has come before, how people have followed God before, how people have walked with God, how people have dealt with crossroads in their lives before. Learn from what has happened before and ask which path is the good way, which path is the right way. You see what's woven in in this instruction from, from God is this idea of humility. You with me? I'm, 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 if there was, if there was a 10 most wanted posters in the, in the post office for this, I'd be probably one or two. This idea that I already know what I'm doing. I don't need instructions. I know how to get there. That my phone, I, I love GPS on the phone. I use GPS on the phone to tell me when I'm going to get somewhere. I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't pay attention to the actual, you know, turn left. Turn left. Turn left. You know how it kind of goes, you know, warns you. And then, and then what's the, what happens when you go the wrong way? Rerouting. Rerouting. And I love, I, I enjoy causing my phone not to know what to do. If I can get off the course enough to where it goes rerouting, rerouting, and it just gets stuck there. And it can't find a new path. And it, 
you know, it's thinking, this guy's an idiot. You know, he doesn't know where he's going. I, I find humor in that. I find joy in that. I struggle with this idea that I need to ask, I need to look, I need to consider what others have done. And I need to acknowledge that I don't necessarily know what the good way is right here. And so I'm asking for help. God, Holy Spirit, hold on, let me, let me look to your word. Let me look to, the, to my brothers and sisters in my life that love Jesus. What's the good way? Have you ever been in this moment? Have you ever been in this situation? How, what did you do? What did God, how did God guide you? Ask where the good way is. And then this is what the Lord says. Walk in it. We understand what walk means, right? It's life. Live in it. Take that path. If you've stopped, you've asked, you've looked, you've humbled yourself before God, you find the clarity of where He wants you to go, and then you take it. And what happens? What does your Bible say? A beautiful, 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 the word that has taken on new meaning in 2020 and 2021. Rest. It's the idea of, of shalom, of peace. Oh. There is a, there's, I'll use his word, I was going to say joy, there's a joy too, but there's a, there's a peace knowing that I did this, that I, in that moment and I stopped and I asked and I looked and I humbled myself and God gave direction and then I actually took it. And now I'm walking this path. doesn't mean it's an easy path. But there's a rest. There's a peace that comes with, this is the path he wants me on. Kurt, how are you doing? We ask this, right? How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm fine. Right? We have this little phrase. Maybe our answer should be, man, I'm on a rough road right now, and there's a lot of potholes, and there's a lot of dangers, but I'm on the path he wants me on, so I'm good. I'm at peace. It's not the road I would have chosen. It's the road he chose for me, and I trust him, and I'm walking it. And I'm telling you, I lay my head down at night and I go to sleep. Good with God. Good with my brothers and sisters. Because I'm on the path that he's called me to be on. You with me? This is, this is what the Lord says to us. And so my question to us this morning as we come to the end of Jonah, we're looking at chapter 4 this morning, is when we find ourselves at this crossroads, what are the questions that I'm asking? What are the questions that we're asking? So we're at a cross and we, we face them every day. We face some more. I had, a, I had a pastor, a friend, a local pastor here tell me this week, he said, I've made more decisions as a pastor, Peter. He said, I've made more decisions in the last year than I think I've made in my 17 plus years of ministry. Just making decisions. decisions. We're like we're confronted all the time. What to do with this? How to respond to that? Should we, should we not? Can we, can we not? What are people going to think? How are people going to respond? What's good? What's best? We're, we're just, we're making all these, we're at crossroads Almost constantly. In fact, we might have a little bit of decision overload. You with me? A little bit of crossroads overload. Couldn't we just have when you're traveling? There's there's a there's a, a time when you like having you know to turn here and go on this road and go through and you know and you kind of see some new things. But then that gets old. And there's a time when you're traveling where you just want a nice, easy, straight highway, no traffic. No stoplights. You, you with me? And I just want a season where I can just put on the cruise control and I can put on the, the music and I can just, you know, be what I naturally am. Cool. You know? Yeah, no laughter from the front row. So, okay, that was bad. There's time, we, we just want it to be easy. 
car drive itself. We might be in that place where it just feels like overload. We're having to make these decisions all the time. And what that, what that does, one of the effects of that, is that it shapes the questions that we're asking. Or if I can suggest this, it causes us to even stop asking the questions. We just kind of do, we just kind of react. Right? Isn't that our nature? Isn't that what sin in part has done to us? Is that we just, we're not intentional. We just react to the moment. Or we get into patterns. We stop asking. We stop asking how people have lived for God before. We stop asking which is the right way. After all, I already know what it is. What are the questions that you are asking that I'm asking? We've, we've presented some questions in this series. The first one was in chapter 1. Why am I here? Jonah had to answer this question. Why am I here? I'm a prophet of God. I go where God tells me to go. And yet something God asked him to do caused him to really question that. My purpose. Why am I here? And we remember what he did. How can I do that? That's question number two. How can I do my, what you've called me to do? Be what you've called me to do. In Jonah's case, he decided that he couldn't. And so he ran. And he went a different direction. But we saw how gracious God is, didn't we? No? Do you remember chapter 2? Do you remember what God did? How he rescued his prophet and, and worked to bring him back over to answering the first question? Jonah, do you remember why you're here? Yes, I'm here because you are God and I'm your prophet. And I go where you to tell me to go and tell people about you the message you've given me to tell them. Yes? How do I do that? How do I live out this purpose you have for my life. Around here we talk about engaging, empowering, equipping, encouraging, because we look to Matthew 28 where Jesus says, not only, yeah, here's why you're here, I want you to make disciples, but then he gives us a plan to do it. He tells us how we can do that. So when I'm standing at this crossroads of how to respond to somebody, or what opinion I want to share, or what my words should be, or what my actions should be in any given moment, am I asking this question? Before I act, before I respond, Am I asking this question, why am I here? Why does Kurt Pearson have breath? Well, to show people that they're wrong and I'm right, of course. Oh, wait, I don't, know what, I don't have a verse for that, sorry. Why am I here? And how do I do that? How do I live that out? The third question, and this is where it gets, if, if, we've, if we've tackled the first two intentionally, seriously, and we're at this crossroads, the third one it gets really, can get really challenging. It's who, why, how, and now who. Who is my responsibility? Jonah faced this question, didn't he? Didn't he? God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah knew Nineveh. He knew very well the people, the Assyrians. And he decided that they were not his responsibility. Yes, isn't that what we see? When God says, I want you to consider who is your responsibility, who I'm sending you to, he disagreed with God. We read in Matthew 28, when we go there, we see him saying, go and make disciples of... Don't, don't we just read that quickly? Or don't we go, oh, that means French people? Yes, of course. <laughs> and that means Italians? Yes, of course. And that means South Africans? And that means Venezuelans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when we start to really apply it and bring it into, what about people that live this way? Or what about people that talk this way? What about people who look this way 
or that way. You with me? Isn't that a a proper application of that? When Jesus says go, he's talking to Jewish men. He knows how they understand, how they feel about everybody else, the Gentiles. Particularly how they feel about the Romans. Is Jesus telling his disciples to go make disciples of Romans, Italians? Are you sure? All nations, right? Peter would go to Cornelius' house, remember that? But do you remember the struggle he had? Do you remember how God had to keep saying in that vision? Was it three times? Who is my responsibility? The fourth question that I'm suggesting we should be asking in these moments of, of, of decision. Why am I here? How can I do that? Who is my responsibility? And when, here's the when question, when is God asking me to move, to act, to go? And I want to answer, now is the right answer. But I want, to, I, want to, I want to give it a little bit of life. The when, the when question, when do I move, is almost always directly connected to the moment that God places you and I in. It's in the car in the drive through at Starbucks. And the Spirit prompts you. And we are really good at asking this question. We're just not really good at, yeah, and acting on it. When, we don't, may not say it that way, but I'm feeling the Spirit of God to engage this person. And I said, well, you know, do you, is, it, is that really you, God? Is it really something you want me to do now? Do you want me to talk to this person? I don't know this person. They, this person's young. I'm old. <laughs> you know, that's a problem. I mean, I mean, I can just go, right? And then before I know what's happening, thank you, have a nice day, and I'm driving away with my delicious chai. The win question is almost always connected to the path that he's put us on Specifically, the person or the people that he's put in our path. So when does God want me to act? Well, he wants me to move. He wants me to act when I'm having that conversation, that disagreement with my wife. Or I'm having a conversation with my kids or my grandkids or my neighbor or my coworker. Or I'm gauging somebody in social media, through social media. Or I'm having a conversation with someone who clearly sees life very differently than I do. So often in those moments, we're like Jonah. We just, we just want, we, we're, we're not going to go there. That's how we say it today. Jonah said, I'm going to take a ship and go the other direction. Today we just say, no, I'm not going to go there. When is God asking me to go? When is he asking me to move? The answer is now. It's in the moment. If I'm at this crossroads and I'm asking these questions... And God has given me direction. Part of walking in the path is being willing to engage the person that he puts on my path. That make sense? See where I'm going with that? Where I believe God's going with that? If you're asking these questions and he says, here's the path. Okay, I'm on the path. Guess what's going to happen when you're on that path? He's going to put people in your path. He's going to put Ninevites in your path. And when I ask the question, well, when, God, when do you want me to live out Matthew 28? When do you want me to do that? And God says, well, I just put somebody in your path. I've answered the question. Now you answer it and you act on it. This is Jonah's struggle. Jonah was at a crossroads in chapter 1 when the word of the Lord came to him. Would you agree? And we saw his response. We come to chapter 4 this morning as we wrap up the study of this, of this man's life or the portion that we're given. And we come to chapter 4, verse 1, and we left chapter 3 with the people of Nineveh going, Woohoo! 
God's merciful and God's good. And remember, and they repented. And we look at what that looks like. They cried out to God. They humbled themselves. They forsook their sin. They put their life on hold and said, okay, God, we are sorry. We've been going the wrong direction. We're going to go the new direction now. What's that new direction? We're ready to go. The most amazing revival maybe that's ever happened or ever recorded. An entire culture, an entire city, the capital of the Syrians, all from the king down turned to God. Can you imagine? Seriously, can you imagine? Come, I come back from Africa and you say, how did it go? And I said, oh man, 288 guys showed up and, you know, and you're like, what? There was only supposed to be 200. Yeah, boy, and it was amazing. And they were, they were eating it up and we had this great time of growing together and fellowshipping together. And we go, yeah, that's awesome. 288 guys, which is significant, men and women. But how many people are in that, in that city or in that country? To be able to come back and say, I got to go to Tanzania this year and... The entire country turned to God. You, you, we right? We go, yeah, right. Because <laughs> we don't even necessarily believe that could happen. And yet here it does. And so Jonah's super excited. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. He is so excited. Jonah was greatly displeased. It means to be grieved in your heart. And he became furious. It means to be burning with anger. And he prayed to the Lord. Now keep in mind, he's still in the city. I don't know where, I don't know if he's, if he's literally there watching people celebrate and rejoice and they're at, they're at a crossroads and they're asking these questions. Why are we here? What is God? How, how do we live for God? And what is he? And, and they're and he, and like, yeah, it's crazy. Everybody's in sackcloth and ashes and they're coming off the end of a, of a fasting. So maybe they're eating now and celebrating and having a worship time. And in the midst of that, David, Jonah is furious and he prays. He talks to God. He's in the midst of this city, he says, please, Lord, come on, is what he's saying. Come on, really? Isn't this what I said was going to happen? Didn't I, didn't I tell you while I was still in my own country, when I made the decision to run away? Ah, uh, this is exactly what I knew was going to happen. Isn't that interesting? He's given a powerful testimony as to who God is. That he's consistent, his nature doesn't change. And he's given a testimony, sadly, to the fact that he knows God. And he knows him well. This is exactly what I knew you were going to do. That's why I ran away. That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you're merciful. I knew that you're compassionate. I know that you're slow to become angry. And I know that you are rich in faithful love. Ah. I know, it makes me, it just, I wish I could be, you know, we talk about having videos in heaven. Maybe there's a video of this moment, he's in the city. And people all around him are rejoicing in God's mercy and grace. And here's the prophet of God, the person of God, the one that knows God, frustrated with God, angry at God because God is being God. And he's doing what he has always done and what he's promised to do. You're so loving. Can, isn't it just kind of, okay, at least Sam's smiling. Thank you, I'm not myself. God, you're loving and you're good and you're gracious. And uh, you remember Cinders? We had a dog named Cinders, and we realized my siblings and I realized that it didn't matter what we said to our dog; it's how we said it. You know. So we say, "You are the you are the best dog in the world, and we love you, and we want you to be around forever." And she'd be all cowering, you know, with her tail down. And we go, "Oh, you're the stupidest dog in the world. We just think you're an idiot." Oh, we just, and she's all uh, all happy. <laughs> 
right? He's, he's saying truth, but he's saying in a strange way. He's venting his anger. You, you relent. You literally, you turn, you repent. God, you're the one who relents from sending disaster. You give mercy instead of what we deserve. And now, Lord, you know what? I just want to die. I can't stand all this celebrating of how good you are. I just want you to take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. And here's God, being God. He, 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 he just responds to that prayer with a question. We see this in Jesus. Remember last year in Luke? Here's, here's God. Here's Jesus before he's taken on human form. Is it really right? And it's the word for good. Jonah, let me just ask you a question. Is, you really think it's good that you're angry at this? What does Jonah do? He leaves the city. You see that he doesn't answer God? Anybody willing to raise their hand that God has asked you a question, he's given you direction, and you, we, I, have just ignored it? Really? John, you ignored God? Yeah, me too. Jonah too. I just want to die. So he leaves the city. He sits down east of it. He goes outside to the east of Nineveh, and he sits down. He builds himself a little shelter there out of corrugated metal and cardboard and such. That's what we do around the world. We make these little shelters when we don't have anything else. He makes a shelter there, and he sits in its shade to see what would happen to the city, to see what exactly God is going to do. Uh, if I can just project myself onto to Jonah for a second, this ain't over yet. <laughs> you know, okay, okay, okay. But I don't know if that repentance was genuine, okay? Uh-huh. Let's, see, let's see if they go back to their old ways. Let's, this ain't over yet. But we know that God, in this moment of their history, He forgives them. He shows mercy, grace, compassion to these people who had repented. Let me ask you this question. How do you respond when God disappoints? Yeah, I said that on purpose. Because if we're honest, God disappoints us. Now, I'm not saying God is disappointing. I'm not speaking of God's character. I'm speaking of my character. When his answer is not what I want it to be, for healing, for restoration, what about his silence? God ever disappointed you in the science, in the silent silence? Where are you? Am I, am I not doing this right? I know you to be these things. Why me? I see you answer that prayer. What about me? In the silence. What about his timing? Oh, God, it would have been good for you to do this yesterday. What about his priorities? What about when God's priorities and my priorities don't align? When there's a group of people that he's showing mercy and grace to, and I'm furious. We know this truth, but I'm going to say it anyways. It's in Scripture clear his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts do, do, do we get that he is not us he, he he gives he puts some human characteristics on himself right the voice of the lord the arm of the lord he he does things so that we can relate to him and understand him but he is not us he is not me 
How do I respond when, when this disconnect happens? Jonah, the prophet of God, knows God clearly, and yet he's angry with God. He wants the Ninevites to get what they got coming. How do we say it today? Well, you made your bed now. Yeah. God forgives, but there's always consequences. Don't we talk that way about other people? Jonah walks away from God without answering. He sits outside the city, and he's just stewing, waiting to see what's going to happen. How do you and I respond when God disappoints? Have I disconnected my story from God's eternal story? That's what the prophet's done. Jonah has disconnected his narrative from God's meta-narrative, his big picture, his big story. See, Jonah knows God's good, and Jonah knows that God has made promises to Israel. He knows that God will give him truth, hard truth, to go to the king of Israel, go to the king of, of, of God's people and say, you need to do what God says. And he'll go into that setting and he'll deliver that message to the people of God because God's made promises to the people of God. But the bigger picture, the bigger narrative, when God says, I love the world, I created all the nations for my glory, and I'm drawing all people to myself. So yes, they're sinful people, Jonah, I want them to repent. I want them to experience my, what you've experienced. And Jonah totally disconnects. No, 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 no. God gets his attention in a crazy way. He goes, and now God does what God does, and now he's furious that God would actually forgive those people. Those people that have not had a good relationship with Israel, and they're going to be used by God to punish, to bring suffering into the lives of God's people. Have I disconnected my story from God's big story? I realized this week as I was preparing these notes in my own heart, this thought, God is always doing something bigger than me. And if I'm honest with you, I sometimes get stuck there. It's all about me. Look at what's happening in our world and how it's affecting me. Look at what's happening in my family, the pain, the, the struggles in my family, and how it affects me and what I want. And those are valid, but I get stuck there, as Jonah seems to have gotten stuck there. And God is always working. He's always moving in ways that are bigger than me. Doesn't mean I'm not valuable to God, but it's bigger than me. His meta narrative, the story he is writing, is bigger than me. In fact, I could say it this way. My story is a part of that story. He is the author of my faith. I've not been given a pen and empowered by Jesus to write the big story. Would you agree? It's already written. Yes? Isn't that what that is? You, you see what I'm pointing at? Then stop looking at me. Look over there for a second. Isn't that the story that God's writing? And I disconnect my story, my life, how I'm living. If I disconnect it from that, God is going to disappoint. How do I respond when God disappoints? Verse 6, the Lord God appoints Jonah's outside the city. He's made this shelter. This word appointed, we're going to see it several times this morning. It's the same word that, that when God appointed a fish. It means literally to call something to a purpose. So God talks to that fish, and the fish goes, I almost talked in my fish voice. I promised I wouldn't do it. He talks to the fish. Oh, some of you prayed for that. Shame on you. He appoints the fish. He tells the fish what to do, and it does it. Here he tells a plant 
he says, grow. And it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head. It grew quickly. Wow, it must have been like ivy or bamboo or something. I don't know. It just, it just grew up quickly and it provides shade. Is this a miracle? Can we just acknowledge that? People struggle with Jonah. Bible scholars struggle with Jonah. Is it fiction or is it not? Is it historical or is it just a fairy tale, you know, an allegory that we learn from? And we struggle with the idea that God could actually command a fish to do what it did and that he could preserve Jonah in the, in the stomach for three days. Was that a miracle? Yes. Is it historical? I believe it is. And I believe it is because Jesus said it was historical. Yes? And so we believe him. He appointed a fish. He appoints a plant. It grows up miraculously, provides shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Anybody see the irony here? That God is gracious and loving and slow to anger, even though his, his prophet has done everything that he's done, and he outraged against him, and God is vindictive, right? No, he's, he's everything Jonah said that he was. I'm just going to give him some shade. I'm going to pl- put this plan, and, and I want to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was greatly pleased with the plan. Oh, he's good with God being this towards him. When dawn came the next day, God appoints, same word, he calls, he tells a, a worm. I know, I, I'm not even going to attempt to talk worm talk, because I don't know what that sounds like when God said, hey, worm, go over there, dig over here, attack that plant. And the worm did it, and it withered. And the sun was rising. As it was rising, God now appoints... And I can talk this language. He appoints a wind, an east wind comes, a hot wind from the the desert. It's a scorching east wind. The sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He was so upset. He was so miserable. And this time he says, here's his prayer. It's better for me to die than to live. I can't, I can't, I, I, I can't stand this. Now, was his struggle physical? Yes, it was. But I, I propose that it was deeper, much bigger than just his physical discomfort. It's his spiritual struggle, watching what God is doing, still being angry with God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. His response is, I want to die. Here's my question to us. How do we respond when God disciplines? See, God, in our minds, He disappoints. He doesn't do what we want. But because of His goodness, because of His graciousness, because of His, his faithful love, He doesn't abandon us. He disciplines us. He works in our life. Do you see it? God's not messing around with Jonah. Some of, I know your personalities, and I think I know who it is, but some of you are like, Dude, God's so funny. This is like a prank show, right? God's just messing with him. No, he's not. He's not going, watch this. <laughs> watch it. Watch it. Oh, okay, he's going to get really bad now. He's going to get sunburned. <laughs> no, God's not doing that. That's not who God is. He's working in Jonah's life. He's disciplining him. What we read in Hebrews chapter 12, and I, I, my time is, is fleeting, so I'm not going to go there, but please write this down. Read verses of, of chapter 12, 1 through 6. I think I put three to six here on, in the screen. But one through six because he points us to Jesus. And, and it's on the heels of chapter 11, which is all these testimonies of faith. And then he says, don't get, don't, you gotta, you're in a race just like all they that came before you. By the way, there's the Jeremiah 6.16 again. Ask about the ancient ways. People have come before. Study chapter 11, how people have followed God. But make sure in this race you're in, you lay out the things that slow you down. And be aware that there's a sin that so easily entangles us. You know what that sin is? I'm confident of this. 
It's a lack of faith. Whatever is not of faith is, what does James tell? It's sin, right, Dad? He loves that verse. He's, he mentions it to me all the time. Whatever of faith is not of faith, it's, it's sin. And this, this struggle, this lack of faith entangles us and keeps us from running the race. And then the author of Hebrews says, I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to think about Jesus. And I want you to think about Jesus on the cross. And I want you to think about how he endured that. And he says, you haven't yet, you haven't yet resisted sin to where there's bloodshed, where there's persecution. But you are walking through t- troubling times. Sound familiar? No? You're walking through some difficult times right now. Don't forget, he says, and he quotes from Proverbs chapter 3, don't forget that God disciplines those he loves. He gives a plant, he takes it away. What, that's crazy, right? But remember, this is a guy that was in the belly of a fish for three days, so probably to him it's not that crazy. God's working to discipline us. How do we respond to his discipline? The author of Hebrews says, make sure you don't take it lightly when God is at work in your life. Can you receive that? He says it's not fun in Hebrews, doesn't he? It's not fun to be disciplined. I didn't like it as a kid. I don't like it as an adult. And God's blessed me with ten grandkids that hate it. He says, I know it's not easy. It's not... But don't take it lightly, or we could say don't miss, like Jonah missed, what God was doing. Do you see what's happening? God is saying, Jonah, I'm here, and I got you, and I'm still trying to get you to agree with me, to get on the same page, that we would align with each other, that your story, your narrative would be reconnected to my meta-narrative and who I am and what I'm doing. You seem to know who I am, but you're struggling with how I'm living that out. In the lives of people. How do we respond when God disciplines? And here's the third question, and I'll move to close with this. How do we respond when God disapproves? When God just tells us, man, you're on the wrong page. Jonah, God asked Jonah, verse 9, is it right? Same, question, same word. Is it good for you to be angry? And it's the same question. Is it good for you to be angry at what's happening in Nineveh? Now he says, is it good for you to be angry? Is it right that you're angry about the plant? This plant? Jonah says, like we would, right? Yes, of course it is. In fact, I'm, um, I have righteous He says, yes, and it's right. It is good. He's talking to God, who says, are you sure that it's good that you act this way? Yes, God, it is right. And I'm angry enough to die. I don't know why he thinks that's going to convince God, but that's his argument. Yes. So the Lord says... You cared about the plant. What is God saying? He says, you enjoyed the shade from the plant. You didn't labor over it. You didn't make it. You didn't give it design. You didn't give it purpose. You didn't appoint it. You didn't give it life so that it could grow. It appeared in a night and it perished in a night. It was temporary. It was fleeting. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left? as well as many animals? Should I not care about this great city? Jonah, there are human beings. There are people with souls in this city. And they're spiritually, I believe that, that reference, they're spiritually lost. They can't decide which way. They're, they're at a crossroads, Jeremiah 6.16, and they don't even know the questions to ask. They don't know who they're talking to. They're so caught up with all this false 
worship and all these idols and just living for, for self. They don't know which way to go. Jonah, shouldn't I care about them? I know they look different than you. They eat different. They, they do things that are offensive to you, and they're offensive to me too, Jonah. Shouldn't I care about them? What is Jonah's response? We don't know. Because we're not told. It's when you watch, Becky and I were watching a, a series on Netflix, and only season one is done. And, I, and it's happened more than once. I don't know if she's in here. She was. But I always go, okay, that's it. In fact, I can do it like halfway through the series now. Okay, that's it. What? That's it? Well, now, at the end of episode 10, you know, wait a minute. What, well, what happens? What happens to the heroine? What happens to the antagonist? Is, is he going to fall in love? Is he going to ask her to marry? Is he gonna, I mean, come on. We, cliffhangers are a very effective tool, right? God gives us a cliffhanger. Why? Because I'm convinced that he wants us to answer the question. You and me fill in the blank. Shouldn't I care about... And you fill in the blank. You're not going to write Ninevites, right? I don't think anybody knows Ninevites. But write in something. Curtis, shouldn't I care about blank? That neighbor across the the (laughs) cul-de-sac? Shouldn't I care about them? It's my brother. You with me? We can answer the question, can't we? We can answer the question, how do we respond when God disapproves of where we have landed, the conclusions, the priorities, the values that we have? We can respond. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, please. Because we're going to respond. But let me start our thinking about responding with 1 John chapter 1. You remember that? Remember that text? If we say we have fellowship with God, that we're right with God, and yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. What is He saying? He's saying, if you're, if you're aligned with God, it's because you've been set free by the truth, by the light. And you get that your, your role, your responsibility now is to be a light to the world. Yes? Jonah, Nineveh, and be a light. Kurt, go across the street. Not to your brother. He knows Jesus and, his, and Crystal. But go to that person next to you because they don't. Go be a light to them. I don't like that person. You don't understand. They threw dog poopy. I don't know what the right word is. but They threw dog poopy over the fence. They didn't, but they threw dog poopy over the fence. Ah, ah, those Ninevites that live next door. If you say you have fellowship with him and you walk in darkness... You are unwilling to be the light. You don't see your responsibility in this world as being light to other people. Then you are actually contributing to the... And we're lying. We're not practicing the truth. If we say that we have no sin, I'm fine. Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Yes, it's good for me to be angry. Oh, Jonah. If we say we have no sin, that we're in the right, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. But if we confess... You know what that word confess means, right? Homologeo, same word, to say the same thing. How would it have been for Jonah to confess? I'm going to say this and then I want you to take over. For Jonah to confess, it would have been said, it would have been this. God, you, you clearly love these people. And you're showing them your grace and your mercy. And I'm so thankful 
that that's who you are. And I'm going to clean up this mess that I've made with my shelter, and I'm going to go back into this city, and I'm going to start celebrating with the Ninevites. How do we respond when God disapproves of where we've landed? We need to confess. Yes? We need to confess. Let's worship.